Enjoy local voices. Enjoy local opinions. All on one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast DC is the new local app with hundreds of DC area podcasts. Featuring some of the DC area's best personalities, pundits, and provocateurs. Earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts you love instantly. With new programs being added every week, don't hesitate. Download Podcast DC now for free. Available in the App Store or in Google Play. Podcast DC. Listen local. Mino Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge. Because as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birth this podcast pregnancy pearls with dr plenty thanks for listening to pregnancy pearls podcast with me dr nicole plenty on today's episode we're going to have a heart to heart about postpartum depression and the importance of maintaining your mental health before during and after pregnancy during the postpartum period common mood disorders are postpartum blues or some people may say the baby blues postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis to name a few Most new moms experience postpartum blues um, after childbirth, which commonly includes mood swings, crying spells, anxiety, and difficulty sleeping. Baby blues typically begins within the first two to three days after delivery and may last up to two weeks. Postpartum depression, these symptoms are often more severe and include aggression, extreme stress, and potentially feelings of detachment from the babies. Unlike the short course of postpartum blues, which I said can last up to two weeks, postpartum depression, on the other hand, can occur within four weeks to several months after childbirth and can last up to a year. Postpartum psychosis is relatively rare, occurring about one in every thousand births. The symptoms usually emerge within the first few days or weeks after delivery and are characterized by severe, sometimes shocking, mood swings that are similar to rapid cycling bipolar moods. Symptoms may start off similar to those seen in the baby blues and postpartum depression, but the following signs are what set postpartum psychosis apart from those other two diagnoses. Um, Initially, there, there could be restlessness, irritability, or insomnia that is accompanied by severe and sudden um, shifts in mood. Um, some women can experience hallucinations. These frequently involve um, uh, violence to, some, some, uh, to themselves or others and can also include violence to their babies because they're not aware of what's going on with them. So it's not that their fault, but they're hallucinating. And those hallucinations, whether they be hearing voices or seeing things that aren't there or feeling things that, that aren't there can cause them to do some harmful things. They can feel confused and exhibit disoriented behavior. You can have rapid mood swings similar to those seen in bipolar disorder. And some people can attempt to harm themselves or their babies, even unknowingly. So women with a previous diagnosis of mental health conditions such as anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, etc. have a much higher risk of postpartum depression and psychosis. However, anyone can have this diagnosis even without risk factors. So it's important for us to not think, you know, oh, she has a little blues or something's going on with her. Oh, I can't believe that she can't cope Um, and really pay attention to your loved ones. Encourage them to take their mental health seriously. Okay. 
depression can also occur amongst women with healthy pregnancies and babies. And so it doesn't mean that you had to have gone through something in your pregnancy to have any of these three diagnoses. Um, these things can happen. Okay. And it's just, just like high blood pressure can happen, but we need to make sure we're, we're treating the high blood pressure. We need to make sure we're treating our mental health conditions as well. So to help me discuss this topic a bit further, Y'all have an expert guest today, and her name is Whitney Tosin. Um, so Whitney is a licensed professional counselor in Texas with over 10 years of experience working in the mental health field. Whitney is the owner of Alamo Ranch Counseling and Wellness and, lo and loves that she has time to focus on areas in her that she is most passionate about. Whitney works with many individuals struggling with anxiety, depression, and trauma, and she specializes in working with teens and pregnant and postpartum mothers. Whitney has advanced training in eye movement desensitization reprocessing, or EMDR, and perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. She's passionate about helping individuals find peace and learn new ways to reach their goals and aspirations. Whitney, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Tell our listeners a little bit more about your practice. So, you know, how did you even decide to start a practice? Yeah, so I was blessed to actually, um, my mentor, when I was an intern, an LPC intern, you have to get like 3,000 hours before you can become fully licensed. And so I practice in someone else's practice, and I've never been in an agency where you can kind of be free and have the creativity to do what you want. So I knew I wanted to start my own practice one day to have that freedom to serve the clients the way that I felt best versus, you know, some agencies, you have to meet certain standards or with insurance panels there's certain things you have to do. You may not be able to fully serve the client. So that's kind of how I got into my own practice. And then with the pandemic, things had picked up so fast that I couldn't see all the clients. It was a big need for mental health services. So then I kind of expanded into a group practice where I brought on a few more uh, clinicians to help out. Awesome. That's amazing. So do you usually treat women during their pregnancies, after their pregnancies, or a combination of both? I do both. So if a mom's having symptoms like during pregnancy of anxiety and depression, that's a good sign that, you know, I probably should work on some things now. And even prior to becoming pregnant, if you're already having certain struggles, it's probably going to continue on. So I do work with moms that are pregnant. And I work with some of the same moms during postpartum. Some women just come to me in the postpartum stage. So I work with both. What are some of the risk factors you tell people about postpartum mood disorders like postpartum depression or blues or psychosis? Yeah. So some of the risk factors for one, um, having a baby, being pregnant, that's a risk factor because it really doesn't discriminate. But some things that, you know, add that extra layer would be um, not having support systems in place. Um, Maybe you already had a pre-existing diagnosis of uh, anxiety, depression, or another mental health disorder. Maybe family members, maybe your mom or your sister, if you notice that they had some things that can be a sign that, you know, I may experience this. Hormonal disorders, maybe things going on with your thyroid, uh, diabetes, just other health concerns can kind of add to this. And then financial, like not having resources financially or having a supportive partner. Those are some things that can add to it. It's many things, but those are the things that, you know, I can think of right now. Yeah, it is many things. And people always say, well, you know, I don't have any risk factors. I'm like, 
Yeah, just having a baby is a risk factor. Like the, just yes. being overwhelmed, the stress of having a baby, um, especially if you don't have a support system in place, can definitely be a risk factor. And and Whitney, I'm glad that you mentioned um, things like thyroid disease and diabetes, because I think that people don't understand that controlling those things is really important, especially your thyroid. Like, it's like as soon as I get somebody that has the depressive mood, the first thing I'm like is let's rule out hypothyroidism because that mm -hmm. is the thing that can definitely make you have issues with your bowel movements and sleep and uh, and your mood because this is controlling your thyroid controls your energy level and your metabolism every day. So it is important to control those other comorbidities to make sure that this is not just something that's organically wrong. Like there's something like a medical condition that's um, that's presenting like postpartum depression. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that up. But after you rule those things out, you can still have postpartum depression and that's okay as long as you get some treatment. Speaking of treatment, if a patient was trying to avoid taking medications in pregnancy, what do you usually recommend for patients with a known history of depression and anxiety prior to pregnancy? So I definitely think, and that, that is something that comes up because sometimes moms don't want to take stuff when they're pregnant or postpartum, they have concerns like breastfeeding. So I would assess and kind of see where they are with the anxiety. Like, is it is it severe anxiety where you're not able to do anything? You're not able to function. That's a sign that, you know, or severe depression. Like I really, really need help because at this point it's kind of like a crisis and we don't want things to get worse. But let's say you're just having mild symptoms where, you know, a few days out the week I get panic attack or I may have a panic attack once a week or, you know, certain things like that. Therapy is a really great option um, since most therapists, well, in the state of Texas, we can't prescribe medications. So we kind of teach you ways to learn how to cope, how to manage. We also look at some of the beliefs because sometimes our beliefs and belief systems can be limiting and they can also cause, um, you know, us to have certain behaviors that aren't helpful. So I think therapy, if you're not going to do medication, therapy is a really good option. And the therapist should have enough insight to say, you know what? I think maybe we should look at, you know, sending a referral to someone that can prescribe and explain that to the client why they're doing that. Because a lot of times medication and therapy can go hand in hand. So eventually you can wean off medication and have the tools to kind of move forward. So when you're treating someone with postpartum depression, just postpartum mm -hmm. depression, um, how long or what's the average length of time you're doing treatment with these patients? Or is it like, Hey, you know, you know, because it can last up to a year. So is it that they're getting counseling up to a year? Is this something that should be getting counseling, you know, start initiate a counseling, counseling regimen, and then they don't have to go to counseling. So how long um, and how frequently are you seeing these patients? Yeah. And so each client is different. So I have some clients that they may resolve things within eight sessions. Okay. And so some clients, they may have a little more, urgent needs. And so I may see them for like 12 sessions. Some clients, they just like after we kind of reach the goals in the treatment plan, let's say I'm not feeling depressed anymore, but I kind of want to make sure I'm kind of keeping up. They just want to be maintained. So they may come once a month just to kind of check in. So I would say anywhere from eight to 12 sessions is kind of normal for therapy. Um, and then in the postpartum phase, it would kind of be the same. Now, if something down the road happens, let's say I was seeing mom at three months and then six months she had to go back to work. 
work. Well, guess what? That can be another trigger for symptoms. Let's say mom wasn't able to breastfeed up to a year like she wanted to. That can be another onset or a trigger for some other things to happen. But I would say session-wise, 8 to 12 sessions, you'll definitely see some changes. And it really depends on that parent or that mom, you know, if they need more sessions. And a session is usually once a week is how you start your sessions or is it once a month or once a week or once every two weeks really depending like I have some moms that are like in crisis mode and I'm like okay we need to see each other weekly I have some moms that are more you know they're functioning pretty good they just have this extra layer and I may see them every two weeks but usually starting out to be a week to every two weeks depending on where that mom is if it's crisis um, or urgent I don't want to say crisis crisis we probably need to look at some other things but urgent we're probably going to do weekly how have you seen have you seen an impact of the pandemic on the rate of postpartum depression Um, what does that look like how has that pandemic shaped this for you so i would say motherhood especially when you're a new mom can be lonely without the pandemic it can be very isolating due to like how society views things and how we compare ourselves like i should be doing this and all these different things But when you add this extra layer, like with the pandemic, where you couldn't really get outside help without some moms compromising their health or the health of the baby, exposing the baby. And then that kind of turns into anxiety and they're in this crazy cycle. But I definitely see isolation. Um, I've seen a lot of that. I've seen a lot of um, intrusive thoughts. Um, But that kind of ties a little bit more with the anxiety and the OCD, but the isolation, the loneliness, the grief and the loss. um, Some moms had expectations like of having a baby shower or, you know, having their parents or their partner in the delivery room. So it's just so many different things that kind of impact, you know, when the COVID pandemic started and even now for some parents, how it impacted their outcomes and their perceptions on things. What can families do to support women who may be struggling with postpartum blues or perinatal mood disorders? Yeah. So with the postpartum blues, like you said earlier, uh, I think it's about 80 percent of moms are going to have that. And that's usually like two to three weeks after birth. So if you notice, I would say past that three week mark, if you notice that the mom is still like having this really low mood, she's weepy, she's not connecting with the baby, she's irritable, she's having all those signs like something's off, that may be a sign that we might need to have a conversation like what can I do to support you? What's going on? So we can also support by reducing judgment because a lot of times people project their beliefs on others like, oh, well, when I was a mom, you know, I was able to go back to work within a week or two, you know, like things like that, Mm -hmm. but really meeting that parent where they are because everybody's different. So kind of recognizing the behaviors, like I said, if it's if it's past that three week mark, what's going on here? asking them what they need, uh, maybe supporting them by going with them to appointments. If you're like the significant other, like maybe going to that uh, appointment with them, if it's a therapy appointment or if it's going to see the doctor, because maybe we do need to get some medications. Those are some things. But validation goes a long way in just listening and hearing what that mom has to say. That goes a long way. Did you say 80 percent will have postpartum blues? (laughs) Up to 80 percent. Yeah. Of moms. Like will experience that and that's usually like the up to two weeks postpartum and that's like yeah. a lot of times dealing with like the hormonal you know adjusting like that sudden drop after you have the baby like your body's adjusting and mom may be a little more sensitive Woo! I, I mean I know that um 
you know, I, I know I, and I'm screening people for postpartum depression and blues every day. Right. But I don't I don't think I knew that it was that that number was that high. Um, and, and that's that's a lot to me. That's like almost higher than anything else you would diagnose um, in or after pregnancy. Uh, that's I mean, you're more likely to get postpartum blues than you will than you are to have a preterm delivery. I mean, that's 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 serious. Um, that's serious. And it, 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 it focuses on why we need to take this thing a lot more seriously. Um, than just skating over it like, ah, it should be all right. Well, if 80% chance you're going to have postpartum blues in it. We really need to be looking after these moms and making sure they have the support system in place when they go home um, so that they can cope well. How often are you seeing people that actually have postpartum depression that had postpartum blues? Yeah, so I would say all the moms that um, that I've treated or working with, they had postpartum blues. Um, so all the ones that I'm seeing had postpartum blues. That then went on to have postpartum depression? Yeah. So all the moms oh, wow. I see in my practice, they either have depression, anxiety, or they had some form of postpartum OCD, but they all, well, I don't want to say all of them. Actually, I don't want to say all, a good portion of them, because some moms, it wasn't until later that they came to see me, and they say like the first couple of weeks, they were actually fine. So I don't want to say all, but a good portion of my moms, um, and I can, I don't know the percentage off the top of my head, they do, they've already had it from birth and they came to see me um, within that six week window because they knew something was off. But some moms later, they might not have had the blues, but something else happened and that's why they came to see me. Okay, you bring in a new term, postpartum OCD. So, mm -hmm. and, and this is OCD presenting in the postpartum period without a history of OCD? Yes, yeah, so obsessive okay. compulsive disorder. And that's one that's very scary for moms. Um, because a lot of times, like it comes with these intrusive thoughts, these really scary thoughts. And moms are afraid because a lot of times when you think about postpartum, they're like, oh, psychosis, because that's usually the rarest, but it's also the most dangerous one because mm -hmm, we've heard mm -hmm. stories about moms. Uh, but intrusive thoughts that moms have, these are what they call ego dystonic which means that these thoughts do not align with their values. So the mom may have a thought of doing something, but she knows in her heart that's not something I have the intent. So instead, what she does is she kind of develops these rituals where maybe if I remove all of the knives out the kitchen, you know, like and, and start doing certain things or sliding down the stairs with the baby or having someone else give the baby the, a bath or washing their hands or praying repeatedly, they develop these rituals to kind of put the thoughts away, but it kind of turns into this cycle. And that's why, you know, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, they do these things to kind of get rid of the thoughts and run away from the thoughts versus psychosis, where it's egocentonic, where the mom is like, yes, this is right. And it's not right. Right. So. Wow. Okay. And so let's talk a little bit about this postpartum OCD. If a husband saw their wife doing these things that you're saying, like, you know, constantly removing the knives from the drawers and things like that. Like, what steps should they take? Because we know that the mom is not going to do these things. But how do we yeah. know that this postpartum OCD is not going to become something that's that can be very dangerous? 
Yeah. So it's usually under the anxiety spectrum, like this part. So I would have, if I was the significant other or the dad, you know, I would kind of ask more like what's going on, you know, like, why are we removing the knives? And mom, depending on how safe she feels, she may open up. And I definitely would get her, I would refer her to a therapist. And there are some medications that can help with intrusive thoughts. Um, therapy helps because it kind of helps you, like if it's related to something in the past, like your own personal trauma, it can help you break that down. But also learn that intrusive thoughts are very much normal. Like we have intrusive thoughts every day. Like if you're driving down on the highway and you see a big truck and you like to have an intrusive thought, you may just have a thought that comes to mind that's unpleasant, but you don't hold on to it. The moms and parents that have these thoughts, they're holding on to them because it's about something that's so precious to them, something that they want to protect. And so when you have these uncomfortable thoughts about, you know, something you love so much, that's why it's so scary. So I would definitely get the mom support, um, talk about it and, and, and normalize it. Because, I mean, not every mom has those intrusive thoughts, but intrusive thoughts are normal. And knowing that you have no intent to harm your loved one or your child, that goes a long way versus telling someone that doesn't understand intrusive thoughts. And then they're like, oh, you know, you need to go to the hospital, you know, so it's really having the education to know, no, it doesn't mean that you're going to do something. It means that your the way your mind is functioning right now, it wants to protect your baby and you're having these thoughts and it's giving you an alert. And that's why it's so disturbing. Now that we know a little bit more about postpartum mood disorders in general, let's go through some cases to talk through them with our listeners a little bit further. Our first case is a 41 year old who is 22 weeks pregnant with her third child. She has a previous history of postpartum depression after her second child, who is now two years old. She was initially treated by a psychologist for postpartum depression following that pregnancy, but was transferred to a psychiatrist about three months postpartum because she developed hallucinations requiring hospitalization and treatment with Abilify. She hasn't been on Abilify now for about six months, but was on an antidepressant at the beginning of, of this pregnancy, but discontinued it herself around 16 weeks. She now presents with symptoms of depressed mood, difficulty concentrating, trouble sleeping, and decreased appetite. She would like a treatment recommendation that does not require medications. All right, Whitney, I'll let you go first. So she's not on any medication, but when she was pregnant, she was having hallucinations. Okay, and the biggest concern right now is that she's not sleeping and not getting enough sleep can lead to all types of things. And so um, I would want to first kind of assess um, to kind of see where she is, um, understand like, you know, what type of thoughts she's having. Um, as far as treatment goes, cognitive behavior therapy may be a good idea. But again, it goes back to that assessment because I am I'm concerned about the hallucinations that she's had previously and that she kind of stopped her medications abruptly um, without, you know, having a backup plan. So I think kind of seeing where her thoughts are and her belief system is right now and kind of seeing, you know, what goals can we place like that's a therapy route. But is she a risk to her baby? Like, is she currently having hallucinations or are they going? Because it sounds like she was on a. Um, is Abilify an antipsychotic or a mood stabilizer? Antipsychotic. 
Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. I need, I need a little more information, but I am a little, this is like a concerning mom for me. <laughs> if she coming into my office, I'm concerned at this point and I need a little more information. Yeah. I Listen, I would agree. I think that so the thing that alarms me is that she's had postpartum psychosis in the past. She has a history of depression um, outside of pregnancy. Otherwise, she really wouldn't be on an antidepressant before the pregnancy started. Mm -hmm. And now she's pregnant and she's probably like, oh, this medicine is going to harm my baby. So I'm going to just stop it. Um, a lot of people do that. Oh, my God. I mean, even the OBGYNs will stop all the medicines and then refer them to me to say, Hey, what do I do with this person? Mm. First of all, don't stop their meds. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, um, I would, I would agree with you. Um, Whitney, I would think that one, she does need a full assessment because we don't really know, right? We don't know how bad her depression is right now. Um, we don't know if she could just go through cognitive behavior therapy um, and counseling and, and be okay without treatment. And, and if she can sustain like that and she's not having hallucinations and she's not having thoughts of harming herself or her child, then yeah, maybe she can do something without medications. But if she is having any of those things, she may even need to be on, you know, an antipsychotic if she's having hallucinations or a mood stabilizer if she's severely depressed. So um, I would want to assess the patient completely fully. But what I would tell our listeners is don't just stop your medicine. Like if you have a history of any type of mood disorder, Talk to your OBGYN, and if they say this is harmful in pregnancy, ask them why, what is the harm, and then ask them what alternatives do I have to this medicine? Because usually we can find something that is safer for you in pregnancy that doesn't cause harm to the baby um, instead of you just cold turkey stopping it. Like most of most of these medicines need to be tapered down before you just all of a sudden stop them because you can have some some rebound symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. You can have re rebound depression even more severe than you had before. Um, and or you can start having issues with hallucinations. So I would definitely tell you to taper off and ask your provider, what's the alternative? And the other thing I want to point out is you're 22 weeks. So whatever has happened to the baby, it, it has happened. Like you cannot cause a defect at 22 weeks. OK, um, the heart is developed at six weeks. So your first trimester is when. There's like the whole risk benefits versus discontinuing or versus continue versus discontinuing medicines. After that, after the 13th week, when the spine is fully developed, it's not a risk of it harming the baby. And so usually even when I stop medications in the first trimester, if somebody is having depressive symptoms or any symptoms, I would say, hey, this is the risk of of, of not taking this medicine versus the benefit of taking it. And a healthy mom is a healthy baby. And so we know that people do better um, if you have a history of depression when the mom is not depressed. And that um, that negates the small risk of taking certain antidepressants. And so I would always continue or restart an antidepressant. If a patient is has been on it and they see me for their detailed scan at 18 weeks and they want to know, hey, is this harmful to my baby? Should I stop it? I'll say, yeah, no, it's whatever's been done has already been done. And if the baby is not, um, if the baby is structurally normal, then continuing your medication may be the safest route. Now, if we can wean you off of your medications, then great. And I al always think if you need to be on a medicine, then you also need a counselor. 
there's no such thing to me as only being on a medicine and not getting some type of therapy um, with that medicine. It should be a combination of both. I don't know if you've seen people, uh, Whitney, that will be started on the medicine and then they, all of a sudden they stop their counseling. Yes, I've seen that a few times, um, but I always try to provide the education prior to like if, if it's me sending a referral, letting them know, like, you know, medication is good as an alternative to kind of help you get to a point where you can have that motivation. You know, if they're having depression, sometimes motivation is an issue. But learning the skills and having the tools beyond medication is usually, you know, lifelong. Yeah, I just think, honestly, I wish everybody, and even if they didn't have a history of postpartum blues or depression, I, I think all new moms need a counselor. I just think just baseline. And now that you've given us the information that says that 80% of women will get postpartum blues, everybody at baseline needs a referral. So if you're an OBGYN, if you're a friend of mine and you listen to this, let's start referring all of our patients to Whitney so that she can counsel them in the immediate postpartum period. And, you know, it's funny because she's laughing like, I'm already too busy. But, um, you know, being busy is a good, that's a good problem to have. So, but we do need to make sure that we are, being cognizant that women do have issues coping after they deliver and counseling is okay. So um, our case pearl for this case is risk versus benefits should be evaluated before discontinuing medicine. Let's not just stop these people's medicines. If you're listening and you were on an antidepressant and you're thinking about getting pregnant, wean or talk to your psychologist or psychiatrist before you get pregnant about what you need to do in pregnancy and if you're already pregnant don't just stop your medicines talk to your provider about what alternatives they're going to take before you just discontinue them cold turkey okay medical intern what's our second case our second case is a 28 year old who is six weeks postpartum she delivered a seven pound baby girl at 38 weeks her pregnancy was complicated by gestational diabetes, which was managed with metformin. She no longer has vaginal bleeding or pain. She states that she is tired. Her Edinburgh depression screening is a 14. However, the patient thinks she's just having issues getting adjusted to breastfeeding. She presents for postpartum evaluation and management. 14, I believe that's kind of high or moderate for depression. Yeah, that's depressed. Yeah, so, on that scale. <laughs> yeah, so I think anything, uh, using the Edinburgh scale, I think anything that's over 10 is mild, and over 12, we're supposed to recommend further treatment. Okay, so yeah, so she's already scoring pretty, like, in the depressed um, area on Edinburgh, so, and she's seeing issues with breastfeeding. So actually, having issues breastfeeding is also um, a trigger, like moms that struggle to breastfeed, that can be a risk factor because uh, they develop pressure and these expectations on how they should be able to. And some moms continue to develop anxiety about it. So for her to have issues with breastfeeding, for me, that's a flag in itself. Um, because when you breastfeed, um, not that you have to, let me put that out there, but it, it produces oxytocin. And a lot of research show that moms that do breastfeed, it kind of helps either manage postpartum depression or it kind of like acts as a deterrent because of the hormones and the connection you have with the baby while you're doing it. So that's a flag and the scale being high, six weeks postpartum. So I guess she's seeing her doctor six weeks. Yeah. 
and she had complications. Those sounds like triggers. Um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend her for therapy to kind of see what's going on. No energy, um, tired. I mean, being tired is a part, so that's how it kind of hides in postpartum. But the fact that she's scoring depression, that's also a symptom of that. So yeah, I would refer her to therapy. I would love to work with this mom and kind of see what we can do to help her out. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think that anybody that's even close to having a flag on an Edinburgh screen, I think needs to, needs to get counseling. And I do think, I like that you brought up that, that point, and I didn't think about that, that um, she's having issues getting adjusted. She probably needs a lactation consult, consultation mm -hmm. as well, and that will probably help. I remember when I struggled with breastfeeding and um it's like i was doing more supplementing with breast milk as opposed to supplementing with formula because i was an under producer and i literally beat myself up about being an under producer and i was like massaging and expressing like so hard that i ended up getting a breast cyst and had to get a cancer workup because of this breast cyst that i had but it was all from putting too much pressure on my breast because i was literally trying to squeeze anything i could get um out any drop of breast milk um and and that plays it just wears on your on your psyche i mean it is like it makes you feel this big teeny tiny when you can't breastfeed if you really want to breastfeed and i remember when i got to the point where harrison was almost six months and i said okay i i, I gotta stop because i'm not really producing anything and i'm it, it was tearing me apart that and I beat myself up about the decision to stop. But once I actually came to grips with, okay, he's healthy, he's doing fine. I've gone to several lactation consultations. I've done everything that I can do. Then I was I was good. But I do remember it took me a while to be good. It took me a while to actually I almost forgive myself for not being able to breastfeed because I'm like this is supposed to be what I'm doing you know, breast is best. I had to remind myself, like I tell all my patients, a fed baby is best. It doesn't matter if you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding or what, a fed baby is best. But psychologically, we women, we do beat ourselves up about this, uh, the whole trouble breastfeeding um, big time. So I would definitely agree with the with the consultation for a lactation consultant. And also at the same time, I would definitely refer you to someone like Miss Tosin so she can get help you um, overcome the symptoms that you're having. Case pro for this case is if you score high on your Edinburgh depression screen, that should automatically prompt a referral to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. It does not mean anything is wrong with you. It just means that you may need a little bit of extra help adjusting to the new baby. All right. Any email cases we have today? Yes. This letter says, I hope you get my question because I'm really concerned. My wife is three weeks postpartum and has been extremely irritable. During her pregnancy, she had hypothyroidism with normal labs the whole pregnancy and had preeclampsia. Due to the preeclampsia, my wife delivered via C-section. I'm sensitive to the fact that we just had a baby and that my wife is recovering from a major surgery. But I'm concerned that she doesn't really want to hold the baby and sleeps all the time. When I ask her if she's okay, she always tells me that she's fine, but just tired. What can I do to encourage my wife to get checked out? I'm worried that she is depressed. You want me to go mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So three weeks postpartum... And mom had a C-section. 
And so I'll say this, some, some moms, when they have a C-section, they experience trauma um, from the experience, especially if it was like unplanned and they were not prepared for it. So that's something, that's a sign. And then the recovery time for a C-section is quite longer than vaginal birth. Then he mentions that she's not bonding with the baby. So that's a sign that, okay, something's going on there and she's tired. So around that three-week mark, when we talked about the baby blues earlier, like two to three weeks. So if it continues, I definitely would recommend um, encouraging mom to, to, to go with you to either see um, her doctor who can refer her to a therapist or if she does need medication, um, that's something to look at. But I would definitely want to get her screen. Oftentimes we wait like until that six month, six week follow up. And a lot of stuff's already going on. One thing I heard him say is that he's feeling some type of way. He's sensitive. And I know this is mostly for moms, but one in 10 dads struggle with postpartum depression. So definitely taking care of yourself, dad. If, if you're going through something, this is a major adjustment, not just for mom, but for you too. So making sure you're getting support for yourself. Um, if that's from talking with a friend that can relate, or if you find that things get worse, maybe talking to a professional. But I definitely would try to encourage mom to uh, get help or maybe go with her to an appointment um, or do some things together in that way. Those are my thoughts. Miss Tosin, I like how you think. So I definitely agree that um, perhaps the, the easiest way would probably be to suggest that they both get some counseling together, right? Um, I know that for me, my husband didn't want me to get count. My husband really wanted me to get counseling and I didn't. And he basically told my OBGYN, like, can you please refer her for counseling? And, um, and I wasn't depressed, but he thought he wanted to be proactive and because he thought, man, you know, Nicole had, you know, a stat C-section and a transfusion, mass transfusion. And, you know, she had all these issues in pregnancy. Like he had been thinking I was going to get postpartum depression, like through my whole pregnancy. I did not, and I did not have the baby blues, but we did um, go to a counseling session because he was very concerned that I was going to struggle afterwards because the pregnancy didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. And I think that a lot of people have one thing in their mind, and then when the pregnancy goes a little differently, it is overwhelming, right? And so no one really plans to have preeclampsia. Okay, no one plans to deliver via C-section. No one plans that. And so it, your wife may be just coping with the struggle she's had during pregnancy and now the recovery that she didn't anticipate that she was going to have to have. And so um, I would encourage you to suggest that maybe you go to counseling together and you may want to take, a, you know, Take some advice from my husband, like talk to the provider, like actually call the provider and say, I'm concerned about my wife. Like, is there a way that you can evaluate her? And if you agree, can you please recommend that she seek some type of counseling? Because I think sometimes coming from a doctor, it could be a little bit different than coming from, you know, your spouse who you could be, you know, she may be thinking, oh, you're just complaining because you don't understand that I have to wake up, you know, every three hours to feed this baby um, because you're sleeping over here versus if the, if the physician says it, it's like, okay, well, maybe there is a little bit something going on or I don't want to disobey the orders of the provider. So maybe I will. And then if she's reluctant, then, then maybe you can encourage her and say, Hey, why don't you just get one session? Like your, your OB did recommend this, 
like let's go ahead and complete the recommended plan. Um, perhaps that can um, that can that can push her a little bit further to get counseling. Um, so I would just encourage this dad to be supportive, be there, be a listening ear. Um, if you ask her if she's okay and she says, yeah, I'm fine, I'm just tired, you know, maybe ask a little bit more. Like try to hold a conversation to see what she feels like doing or how she feels now, how her body is feeling, um, how she's feeling with the new baby, um, perhaps getting some help, have, have family members come and help out around the house if they're vaccinated, obviously, or if they're willing to wear masks, um, maybe taking some stress off over there will allow her to get the sleep that she needs um, and feel a little bit more like herself. But yeah, I agree with you, um, Whitney, in that I would definitely uh, recommend counseling and maybe, you know, them going to counseling together. Yeah. And I like what you said, um, you know, like talking about your own experience, because not every mom is going to have an experience. And I think that, you know, it's good that this dad is proactive, but she may be just fine. Like time usually tells all. So if it continues on, you, you know, definitely get help. But it never hurts to get an assessment done. So, yeah, never hurts. I think that that's all of our cases for that. Perfect. Our medical intern shaking her head. Yes. So thank you guys so much for listening to Pregnancy Pearls podcast. I hope you've learned a little bit more about postpartum blues and postpartum mood disorders. Whitney, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Please tell our listeners how they can follow you on social media. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Like I really enjoyed this talking about the cases and just giving information. You can find me on Instagram at Whitney Tosin. Um, Facebook, it's Whitney LPC. And my name is spelled W-H-I-T-N-I. And my last name is T-O-S-O-N. Tell us, do you have any upcoming events or anything like that? Yeah. So each month I host a free online pregnancy and postpartum support group. And so I have moms from California, Georgia. Um, this is just a place to provide them with education and have a place to just talk about uh, becoming a mom and, and that first year of postpartum. Um, sometimes we have guest speakers come. So if you ever want to come, Dr. Planey, you're more than welcome. We have people <laughs> talk about intimacy after, you know, having kids and we talk about pelvic floor. We talk about, you know, postpartum anxiety as well. But it's just so many things that happen in that first year or nine months plus that first year that, you know, it's good to have that extra support. Absolutely. And I would love to come. So um, please keep me in the loop about when I can come and what we're going to talk about. Um, I would love that. And, and I would encourage anybody is this, um, is this in person or is this virtual, um, Whitney, that you have this? It's virtual. Um, it became virtual with the pandemic. And I'm so grateful because now I can, you know, help so many moms and we can reach so many moms that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think the the pandemic has been a lot of bad, but a lot of good has come from it, too, because now with the virtual platforms, we can reach so many more people. And so if you're listening, even if you don't think you have postpartum blues or depression, check it, check out Whitney Tosin and check out these virtual classes that she has, because I think that we can all learn a little bit more even if that's just how to cope with adjusting, right? Like let's get some tips from other moms and professionals about how to be a slightly better version of ourselves. So I think it's, it's always good to 
learn and grow. So um, please check it out. And if they if they want to book your services, uh, Whitney, to do some one on one counseling, how can they uh, how can they do that? Yeah, so they can go to www.whitneytosin.com. That's W H I T O N S O N. Miss Tosin, thank you so much for this information. I have learned a lot uh, today from you. I mean, you've been amazing. I wish you much success with everything that you're doing, and I hope to be on your virtual platform soon. Thanks for coming. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or a unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash pregnancy pearls with Dr. Plenty for more quick talks about pregnancy complications. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a Mean Old Lion Media production.